I know I've said many times that Manlyhood isn't just a Christian website, but I'm a Christian and I'm not afraid to talk about my faith here. Today's guest is going to talk about faith in a way that you may not have ever heard it before. I'm really excited to bring you this interview with Doug Giles. In a culture that scoffs at honor, you can rise up to lead and to shine. It's time to be the best man that you can be. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Hatcher. Welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher, and I am so glad to be able to be a part of this movement, this men's movement. This is not just about me talking to a camera or talking to a microphone and telling you things that I think are interesting. No, this is about us growing together. This is about us as men becoming better men together. And it's been a really awesome experience to watch it happen. And I'm very grateful that I've been able to be a part of this. But I want to make it clear, I'm just one small part of this. So if you want to connect with the brotherhood, with these men that are growing, that are learning, that are helping each other, please join our private Facebook group, The Manlyhood Man Cave. You'll have to answer a couple questions, and then we'll have to approve your uh, admission. It's for men only, and I can't wait to see you in there. Listen, today's guest is a firebrand. <laughs> he really is a wild man, and he talks about it. And he is uh, not just a troublemaker, but he's a guy who sees that Christianity is about being a troublemaker in a really awesome way. Honestly, this is an eye-opening interview where we really get into the heart of who Jesus is and what he expects of the people that follow him, especially the men. So this interview with Doug Giles is one that you don't want to miss. Even if you don't believe, I want you to tune in because I want you to see and know and understand that Christianity isn't just some weak, made-up religion for pansies. No, there's some strength and some substance and some really interesting thoughts that come out of this interview with Doug. Doug, it is great to have you on the show, my friend. It's awesome if, you know, some of our guys may be watching on YouTube, watching the video, or some of the guys may be listening online, but if you're watching on YouTube, uh, your studio setup there uh, is quite awesome. I see a, a pretty big beast behind you. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's not a bad office, and thanks for having me on, Josh. Yeah, yeah, glad to have you. Um, so I, I'd like to kind of hear about Doug and what you do. Uh, let's let's help our guys get to know you better. Tell us about yourself. Jeez, man. <clears throat> you know how long this is going to take. I'm 60 years old. So um, uh, born and raised in West Texas. Uh, my parents weren't drug dealers. My mom wasn't a pirate hooker or any of that. Uh, wasn't raised in church. So which was kind of cool back, you know, in the day, even today, um, everybody in Texas, everybody pretty much in the flower states uh, call themselves Christians. Uh, my parents never considered themselves Christians, so they didn't take me to church. I don't think I went to uh, a wedding or a funeral or even darkened the threshold, uh, Josh, of a church until I got converted when I was 21. <clears throat> so I was a tabula rasa 
uh, when God knocked me off my high horse. I uh, started doing, uh, started getting drunk like around 12, started doing weed around 13. Uh, by 16, I was selling weed, acid, cocaine, mushrooms, speed, that kind of stuff. And um, again, you know, middle-class kid was not raised in an environment of vice and crime, just bored and had uh, too much time on my hands. And you know what uh, Ben Franklin says about that? That's the devil's workshop right there, baby. Right. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, got kicked out of high school, <laughs> had to repeat my senior year because of disciplinary type stuff. And then when I finally uh, graduated at the ripe old age of 19, I did a, a stint at Texas Tech University, got kicked out of college. <clears throat> and and uh, Josh, I think at that juncture in 1981, that I was in the lead role for either playing Beavis or Butthead for the next <laughs> 10 years. <clears throat> so, yeah, my glide path was uh, fraught with uh, stupidity, uh, tons of turbulence. And my parent, or <clears throat> so my parents are worried about me. I'm working at a gas station, 21, going nowhere. So my sister got converted during the Jesus uh, Freak Movement revival back in the late 60s and stuff with James Robinson. And so she's got this prayer groups, uh, group. It's like, hey, let's pray for our family. And, and um, so most people are starting to pray for their folks, you know, because that prayer group was the demographic was pretty much 30 to 50. You know, parents are uh, going to take the dirt nap historically before the kids do. But they but they said Doug's going to be dead if if he doesn't get converted because uh, uh, he, he's taking notes while Bon Scott's singing Highway to Hell. You know, and he's <laughs> I watched I watched Animal House. I was like, that's a great idea. Same thing with past times at Ridgemont High. And I just went for it. I was a very effective uh, evangelist for El Diablo. So anyway, <clears throat> my sister and her husband fasted and prayed uh, one day out of every week for 19 months until I got converted. And when I got converted, Josh, I came the hard way. I'm telling you, telling all your listeners and stuff, everybody's like, isn't it great, you know, that you became a Christian? I loathed uh, the thought of me becoming a Christian. That scared the crap out of me because all the Christians that I saw, man, in high school, you know, with their little sweaters over their shoulders and their little Izod shirt and their matching Izod socks and everybody was nice. And, and all the Christian uh, leaders, you know, the teachers and stuff at my school with fellowship of Christian athletes and young life and all that crap. Uh, they were, they were nicer than Jesus. And as a sinner, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, you know, <clears throat> I don't know if I have a real problem with God. I have a real problem with this though. I don't want to be this. I, there was never an inkling, Josh, in, in my worrying tin brain, the two cycle weed whacker of my gray matter. It's like when I grow up, I want to be a nice Christian boy. That just wasn't part of my repertoire. I wanted to, I wanted to sex, drugs, rock and roll, slay a dragon, have a beautiful, you know, Sophia Loren or Raquel Welch at my side. And we just go out into oblivion having done something epic. In Christianity, of what I saw, like in high school and junior high, <clears throat> brother, it didn't smack of that at all. It just smacked of pizza parties and, and niceness. And uh, so I had a big problem with the Christian groups because I would I would do my dastardly keg party, dope-infused <laughs> dope weekend madness rabble Thunderdome type parties. 
And then they would have, you know, their Christian get togethers. And so they viewed me as the devil. And I never, ever heard, you know, hey, Doug, Jesus loves you. It's always, I'm a piece of crap. I'm going to hell. Uh, <laughs> don't let the door hit you in the ass, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then there's this girl, man, uh, in my psychology class, and I'm regaling some weekend of Bacchanalian excess. And I thought when she turned around to address me, it's like, here we go. Doug's going to hell again. You know, and I knew that nobody had to tell me I was going to hell. I didn't think I was going to heaven for all the crap that I did, if there was one. So anyway, a beautiful girl, Christy George, sitting in front of me. And she turns around. She goes, hey, Doug. And I just kind of brace myself because I know she's a Christian. And I, <laughs> and I know the diatribe that usually spills off their tongue and stuff. She goes, you know, Jesus loves you. And dude, I'm telling you, man, that was freaking revelatory. Just blew my mind. I didn't get saved until two years later, but brother, she planted the seed of destruction uh, for my sin nature. And, uh, you know, two years later, because uh, I'm that thick, uh, finally that seed germinated and, you know, splat out of the womb of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Doug arrived, born again on December 7th, 1983. That's awesome. That's awesome. So for you, Christianity was... uh a weak pansy thing. Oh, it was, it was nutless and stupid. <clears throat> I was never impressed in regards to, uh, the reasonability of the faith. And I wasn't impressed with, uh, any kind of masculinity. It seemed oh so woefully absent of it. And again, uh, in regards to the people that I were, that I was bumping into in high school, I'm sure that there's great, you know, at that time, obviously great masculine examples you know, Holy Spirit brainiacs and just, you know, courageous missionaries and people who confront, you know, devils and demons and stuff all over the planet. I didn't see it, though. That was the rare commodity. All I saw was, you know, just this, <laughs> these, uh, uh, just these nice people, like everybody wears cardigans. And when right. I got converted, man, Josh, when I got converted, all, all my preconceived notions of how Christianity had become effeminized deeply, I was spot on. The demons were right, you know, but my sin burden, it got so heavy, brother. I didn't care. I, I, you know, I'd become whatever if I could get uh, my burden of sin and guilt off my back. And uh, I'm telling you, it was <clears throat> just a great thing, man, that when I got converted, uh, my pastors quickly understood that you couldn't just toss me into some stupid, college group or some kind of youth group because I was I'd already lived two or three lives you know and I'd been there and done that and got a whole closet of t-shirts and so they got me around guys who hunted guys who fished and because I'm an artist I don't know if you see my art uh, they got me around some serious artists and if it weren't for that going to these dumb youth groups uh, these stupid college groups that are filled with sorority and fraternity people and I was an artist, man. You know, he used to sell them dope, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and now all of a sudden I'm there and I'm supposed to, you know, wear top siders and khakis and be like them. I was never going to do that. And so again, they got me into the right group of dudes to disciple me. And um, instead of going to, and I went to their things for a while, you know, their Friday fun festival and their single mingle night and all that other stuff, because that's what old stupid duck's supposed to do. Cause he told me to, 
Uh, but I finally just said, you know what? I'm going back to the bars. I'm going back to the rock concerts. Uh, when they're tailgating to go see Aerosmith, I'm going to go wander right back in there and cast out demons, heal the sick, pre- preach the gospel, because that's reality. That crap that goes on on Friday nights where everybody's in their little Christian playpen, you know, not dealing with demons, not needing the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, they're in, they're in a hot tub of Christian mm. bubbly yumminess. And I didn't want that, man, because I really had or still have a heart for lost people because I know what it's like to be on the outside and not wanting to look in and needing a great disruptor of a preacher or an intercessor come in and, and put their, you know, their holy head into my spiritual solaplex and knock the wind out of me. And I always uh, kept that mindset uh, when I got converted is that we're here to reach lost people. I was so effective for the devil in turning church people into drunks and drug addicts and hookers and strippers that I wanted to be just as effective for God in turning those people into holy warriors and uh, spiritual badasses. That's awesome. I love that term, spiritual badasses. So did you run into any of those? Is that, you know, what what it was it that changed your mind? Was there a, a person that you met that embodied what you were looking for, or was it just Jesus himself? Well, of, of course, it's, you know, the, the Son of God is, is the ultimate uh, rebel from Galilee. And um, so because I can read, I could see a great divergence between um, the Christ of the Scripture <laughs> and then the, the sweet little Jesus, you know, that's depicted on church every Sunday morning. God help us. I also wrote a book about that um, two years ago called Masculinity is Toxic called Jesus Radioactive. And what I did is I went uh, through chapter by chapter through the book of Matthew. And I've read uh, the book of Matthew a gazillion times. Um, but this this whole treatment was focusing, Josh, on the overt masculine traits of Christ uh, through, you know, first person account with Matthew and how, how other he was uh, than how he's being depicted today. And he was a full on uh, pipe hit and nut cutter, and they killed him for a reason. Nobody tries to kill a nice guy. It's like, oh, he's nice. Let's crucify him. No, he got up in the bad politician, the bad priest grill. He rebuked him. He rebuked his disciples. He called a woman a dog. Uh, he would confront demons. Mark's gospel is, you know, just obsessed. Uh, uh, John Mark was obsessed with Christ's power over the demonic. And that's, and, and also his buddies were fishermen. His disciples were fishermen. Brother, I've been, a, I've been a hunter and a fisherman for all of my life. There are no wussies who do that for a living. And they're not going to just drop their stinking nets and follow some, some hipster spiritual guru. <laughs> they, they only follow badasses. And uh, you look at, you know, you look at Christ, just I'm talking about just a raw look uh, without anything and just read the red letters and see how confrontational he was with the demonic. See how confrontational he was with bad priests and politicians. And when his disciples would, you know, go rogue or say something stupid, he didn't patty cake them. He was always encouraging, but but he but he never he never cheered on lies, hype, and spin. And like I said, they killed him for a reason, and that reason was his big mouth. Yeah, I feel like the Jesus that gets you know, the very white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that gets painted, <laughs> you know, for us 
and you know, and he's always holding a lamb or has little kids in his lap. Now, Jesus did love little kids, and sure. he is referred to as the good shepherd. But again, you know, shepherds aren't clean people. You know, that's a crap job that you wouldn't put on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And every time, and every time I see Jesus with the lamb, they're like, "Isn't that nice?" I go, "Yeah, I think it's great." That's that's what they're going to eat for barbecue during the Last Supper. Yeah. Well, and and it's a picture of, you know, it's wild also about the kids like Jesus loved the children and the children loved him. And if if people go to Matthew 21, when Jesus tossed the temple, when he whipped the money changers and 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 all the people that were desecrating uh, uh, God's house, you know, who was cheering him on for that and singing his praises? Young people, Mm because they were sick of the bull crap. They could see that that was corrupt. They could see that that had jack squat to do with a true worship God and that God's house would be a house of prayer. And Jesus flipped the tables and ran them out with a whip. And it said the children and the word in the Greek children spans not only adolescence, but it goes into late teens, early 20s. So young people love the rowdy Christ. I think young people who, especially like me, if you don't come from a Christian background, it's like we don't want to follow some stupid wuss. We don't want to follow some guy who's walking around airy-fairy, uber-spiritual. We want somebody who addresses uh, garbage that, that is holy, just, and good. And he, doesn't, he, he makes wine, and he doesn't have any problem whatsoever whipping the shiitake mushrooms out of somebody if they're doing something that's an abomination. That's cool. I can follow that. <laughs> I'm, I'm in. Sold. We picture Jesus, I mean, the Bible says God is love. Jesus talked about love all the time. And I can picture Jesus really loving the people in front of him. But I don't necessarily think that love is all hugs and kisses and hearts and rainbows. You know, I mean, it's, you know, that that love was like brotherhood, you know, when you get together with the guys. And I mean, these are these are men and even a few women, right, that were kind of following him all the time everywhere sleeping in tents and you know and or 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 couch surfing you know because he didn't have his own place and you know that's like that bond and that brotherhood as they were going town to town and doing the things they were doing you know i mean i can picture i mean that's like a biker gang you know <laughs> yeah in regards in, in regards because a lot of people always say well doug you know you're 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 too high on testosterone and stuff and you live in this freaking cloud. And it's like I do because God as a man hardwired me to live into this beautiful Josh. And I know you share the rarefied air, this beautiful rarefied air of testicular fortitude because that's why I have my cojones. That's what makes me different <laughs> than a eunuch or a woman. And it's not a bad thing if it's under God's governance. In regards, in regards to love, and like Jordan Peterson said, a man should be absolutely dangerous. He should be, he should be somebody not to be messed with, but that should be bridled and under control. And um, in regards to the love aspect, you know, you know, God is love, uh, but He's also holy. He's also just. He's also incomprehensible. And so, when people just do this kind of one-dimensional version of God just being love. Okay, let's roll, let's roll with that for my critics who say that I don't have love, which uh, I got millions of 
followers and listeners that uh, we've seen their lives change by just being brutal with the truth that might argue with them, but be that as it may. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 13, in the love chapter, Josh, you know, love is patient. The, the, the stuff that they say on weddings all the time. Love is patient. That ain't me. Love is kind. I eh, kind of fell on that one. Uh, love doesn't brag. It doesn't boast. Yeesh. Kind of even got worse on those two. And then, then it says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoice in the truth. And then in, uh, I think it's Leviticus, uh, I think it's 17 or 19. It says, you shall surely not hate your brother. It's like, yes, we should not hate our brother, but you shall surely reprove him so that you don't incur something worse upon him. And then you got Romans 12, the great refrain that the Apostle Paul said, we must, uh, what is it? Um, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling, love must be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, cling to what's good. And to me, the thing that I know how God loves me, man, is not only the empirical historical act of his son's crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, but the fact that God will confront me when I'm full of crap. And I don't see that as you don't love me. You know, those who God loves, he disciplines. He chastises, according to Hebrews 12, and he said that that, dis- that discipline can be, <laughs> it can be so unpleasant and brutal that the writer of Hebrews exhorts the person that when he's undergoing the love of God through discipline, don't faint, don't pass out. I heard a story recently. There was a, an MMA fighter who his daughter had been uh, raped or sexually assaulted, and then he went and killed that man. Yeah. You know, and like he's going to jail for it. The other guy, I think, is out on bail or something ridiculous. You know, I think he attempted to kill him. He didn't kill him, but he assaulted him and almost killed him. No, I think he did kill him. Did and, uh, and because he was in Florida, you know, the Castle Doctrine, like in Texas. Right, right, right. So if you got some freaking stalker, first of all, I have no problem with that. what that dad did. Right. Like if you mess with my family, oh my gosh, you're going to die. If I can you, you're going to die. And the what story. motivates that is love. Right. But John Piper, who's a you know famous uh, reform theologian, like a lot of his stuff, I think he's freaking just, just absolutely bad crap crazy when he said, well, you know, if somebody was to rape my daughter, you know, I would not get involved. You know what? I would. And if, and if I was wrong, first of all, Josh, if there's a God that wants me to bystand the rape of my daughter or my wife or your wife or anybody who's innocent and he wants me to do nothing, I got a big problem with that God because that's weird. Because you go, you go back to like in Exodus 21, 22, 23, it says if, if you see a donkey getting ripped off, you got to do something about it. If you see a guy getting his, his coat stolen, you got to do something about it. And like an old uh, British law, there used to be a law in the books and it used to be in the United States. It's called hue and cry. It's like if you if you saw something that was illegal going down, you had to inject yourself into that altercation to try to disrupt it and not make it happen. That's biblical law, man. But nowadays, it's like, oh, I don't want to get involved or oh, I could get sued or Cohen and Cohen could come and you know, try to throw me in jail because, you know, I 
I place myself into this situation. But according to the scripture, it's like if you see a nation sin and you don't say anything, then blood's on your hand. If you see a donkey getting ripped off, you don't do anything, then you're liable just as much as the thief was of, of, <laughs> of that burglary or, or that theft. And so if I see my daughter getting pinned down by some stalker who's been following her on Instagram or TikTok, and I'm Dudley punch gut and I don't do anything, oh my God, man, I couldn't live with myself. And like I said, if there's a God who wants me to stand by and watch that, I got a huge problem with him. And, um, and say that it is a sin, Josh, for me to kill the perpetrator of somebody who's doing something to my wife or daughter, or some other innocent person, then you know what? I'll just ask for forgiveness because God's a forgiving God. I, I think that there's this myth surrounding, it's really kind of permeating our culture and it's coming from a, a different place, but it's this idea of pacifism and the idea that Christianity teaches pacifism or that violence is never the answer. And honestly, just sometimes it is the answer, you know? And and honestly, most of the time, the threat of violence is enough to be a deterrent, you know? And for some reason, we have tried to virtue signal this idea that violence is always bad. And as a result, we now have violent people who have no checks and balances in place. And that's a problem. Right. Yeah, C.S. Lewis uh, famously said, since, you know, our kids are going to grow up and they're going to be confronted by evil people, uh, regaled them with stories of victorious warriors and stuff. And uh, <laughs> Douglas Wilson also said, you know, uh, one of the things that you need to do as a parent is let your kids play with toy guns and swords because there's some evil mofos that are out there that need to be put down. And, uh, you know, Jesus told Peter, Buy a sword, Luke twenty two thirty six. Sell your coat, sell your Versace jacket, and uh, and, and get a semi automatic weapon, or get you a nice <laughs> Remington eight seventy twelve gauge pump shotgun with an extended mag. And uh, I hate that that's the world we live in, but that is the world that we live in. And uh, our Christ, our God, our King, our Lord is not Gandhi. Now, Gandhi can did what Gandhi wanted to do, but it has Jack Squat to do with uh, the Christian's right uh, to keep and bear arms and the, the the evident reality of protection. You know, I wrote in my book, Pussification, the effeminization of the American male, that one of the, one of the things uh, historically in regards to, you know, what defines a man in a classical sense of the word is that he's a protector. He provides, he protects, he hunts, he does heroic stuff. And because I'm a Christian, it comes, it comes under the governance of God and the biblical worldview and the rule of the scripture. And so <laughs> back in the day, man, if you couldn't protect yourself and your wife and your brood, then that caveman with a pterodactyl rib, he's going to come over there and he's going to take your head and turn it into a drum, drag your wife away from the camp and take your snaggletooth kids and probably kill them so he can start his own bloodline. And you had to know how to protect yourself. You were uh, the first responder. You were the cops. You were the FBI. You were, you were the fire department. You were all that. But now, you know, because of, like you said, the whole passivism and the passivity and calling that, that's toxic masculinity. Oh, you can talk that crap, but wait till the zombie apocalypse comes and you're going to want uh, Mad Max to be at your side instead of that 
hipster dandy dude that you got with skinny jeans who can't change a tire, doesn't know how to freaking dump a mag and put another one in nanoseconds after he unloaded 17 shots into the cavity of the first moron that attacked him. And he doesn't know how to hunt. And now, you know, the, 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 the grocery stores are shut down because some fake plague or something that Biden's done to us and you can't operate. So I would tell the girls, if they're listening to your podcast, I know it's pretty much uh, geared towards the dude, but if I was a single girl, yeah, I'd love to go shopping with some nice, you know, hipster dandy. And it's great to go to Starbucks and drink a Frappuccino and muse about gill netted dolphin. But I'd be looking for a warlord to marry going into uh, <laughs> the next uh, decade that we're going into because it's going to get very, very interesting. And if you don't have a man who's a provider, protector, and hunter and hero, you could find yourself in this thing called a hell of a mess, sister. I think about that. You know, we think about things like kindness and gentleness, right? These are good things. But I think we have this, that again, that myth or idea that it's the void or the lack of strength or violence. No, but really what it is, is it's strength and violence under control. You know, I would never hit, I would never hit my wife. I would never abuse my kids. I mean, they're mostly grown now, but you know, I remember growing up and wrestling with the boys or when my dad would wrestle with me. I remember my dad would wrestle with me, right? And he'd put his hand on my face and just squeeze, not in a way to hurt, just to show me how strong he was, right. you know? And it was just a fraction of how strong he was. And he could have crushed my head like a grape. And he never did. He never hurt me. But in that show of restraint, you know, that's when we learn that, as men, we have to be strong enough to rip a face off, but we don't <laughs> unless it's yeah, that's time a, to do that's, it. that's a great point. It goes back to Jesus' first podcast where he said, blessed are the meat. And that, that you know, when people say it today or you hear it on television, it's like, blessed are the meek, Josh. Well, meek, right. first of all, is meek uh, before God. It's not meek before men. Because you look at Peter and John, who are direct disciples of Christ, you look at Christ himself, the chief dragon slayer, he, he was, you know, he was humble. But like I said earlier in my, uh, my uh, stump speech going into this interview, if you thought he was meek, go try polluting God's temple. If you thought he was meek, say something stupid in front of him. If you, well, I, think, I think part of that problem is meek has been culturally redefined. Right. You know, you look at the, the Greek word that's used there. The implication is not and has never been weak, weak. timid, right. quiet. That's, you know, the, the implication is teachable, self-controlled. You know, that's the the implication in that word that's translated yeah. as meek. But it rhymes with weak. So. Yeah. And so, um, again, like you said, like from my study of the Greek, I did three years undergrad is, um, and I'm not bragging. Uh, I'm not bragging, Josh, I don't like to brag and I don't like to boast, but I do like hot butter on my breakfast toast. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so my understanding of meat is it's like a, it's like a stallion. It's a strong war horse that comes under the bridling and the guidance of its rider. So again, it goes back to, you know, which I think Jordan Peterson is borrowing capital off uh, Christ's refrain of uh, blessed are the meek and what he had in mind, uh, that it's, you are capable 
of severe damage, but you don't do it. And to me, that's, you know, that's what represents masculinity. It's under control. It's got to be under God's governance uh, or it can run amok, you know, as we're seeing in the world today, it shows up in fascism and communism or Islam, you know, radicals and stuff. So, yeah, what I have, what I'm saying, what I'm advocating has crap all to do with Al Qaeda or ISIS or, or, or being a threat uh, to those who are weaker uh, than I am or, you know, so it's, it's, but I emphasize it so much because it's been, like you said, it's been downplayed, not just for the last, you know, few years, but for decades and the church in particular has vied into this satanic deception he said, hey, if you're a Christian man, then you just got to be a goody two-shoe and you can't, you know, you just look for the safe life and you avoid conflict and you avoid saying nary a bad peep. In Luke's treatment of the gospel and Jesus's initial ministry after he rose out of the Jordan Rivers and John uh, Jordan River and John's baptism in Luke 4. So he's saying, I've come to set the captive free. And which sounds to us, you know, cool and flowery and stuff like that. And I've come to take people from darkness to light. You know, and he quotes Isaiah or something like that. They got so pissed off at that soliloquy, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Now, who gets ticked off about that? I'll tell you who gets ticked off about that. Pharisees who didn't think that they were uh, slaves to Roman rule. And Pharisees who thought that they were the light and that yet they were the darkness. And they understood that what, what he said uh, had barbs in it, and it was aimed for their noggin. So let's make this practical, relevant, current, right? I'm a guy. I'm living my life. How do I apply that warrior spirit under control, obviously, to life around me? Well, first of all, you gotta you gotta have your mind renewed with the Word of God. I mean, it's great to have you know supplements like your podcast, my podcast. I've written seventeen books. The voices inside my head will not stop. I've got six bestsellers. A lot of it's written, Josh, in regards to um, men being men. I co-host and co-founded a podcast called Warriors and Wild Men. These are all great supplements. They're, I mean, phenomenal the richness of food that's out there for dudes who want to be dudes unapologetically. But the guy's got to, the guy has to uh, operate his existence. So in regards to practical, how do you do this? He's got to have a relationship with God. You've got to, and it's got to be through the word. You don't make this crap up. Uh, our, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And what rule do we know how to glorify God and to enjoy him? Well, according to Westminster Shorter Catechism, that rules the scripture. And so I'm blown away, Josh, about how dumb Christians are in regards to the scripture. And I'm talking about the meta narratives. They don't know them. And you get into the, you know, the weedy aspects of, of the revelation, the story, and, you know, the minor prophets, and threat of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. They don't even know what that is. And so, so yeah, there's going to be a... a <laughs> A, a big disconnect on how we live this out. And guys, if you're listening, it's like, I want to be a man. I want to be a man of God. Well, you've got to read. It's up and down, left and right. And you've got to renew your mind with the scripture day in and day out. 
and you've got to not just post yourself, you know, to Instagram or Facebook that you're a man, you've got to posture yourself primarily before the audience of one because he can see through your BS and he's the one who can make you into the image and conform you into what he sees is the pattern, the protagonist, which is his son. And um, that shouldn't, again, that shouldn't scare men away in regards to losing their masculinity because Christ, you know, he is the man and he's whom the Holy Spirit is going to conform us into his image. And that's not a process that occurs <laughs> uh, during a, a retreat for three days talking about manhood. And here's another, here's another FYI for the guys that are listening. It's going to take you 20 years to be a man of God. So just get busy, just obeying, you know, get around dudes like Josh and his podcast, dip into mine. If you want some, <laughs> if, if you want some extra fodder and stuff, and, uh, but it's just, you know, you just got to do the time, man. It's, it's a, it's a marathon to where we get to relate to God almighty, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, our defender, our conqueror, our protector, our hero. And it's a great relationship. It's not boring. And if your Christianity is boring, sir, not you, Josh, but the guys that are listening, if your Christianity is boring, you're doing everything wrong. I always struggled with with my friends at first when I was younger with my friends that would doubt their faith or they would walk away from it because they never really could. Because for me and my upbringing, I had a, a West Texas old fashioned Baptist independent, you know, independent fundamentalist Baptist preacher who actually was very independent and even broke the mold from what the rest of them were doing. And he just taught the word instead of all the made up stuff. And yeah, it was old fashioned. Yeah. It was, you know, it was a little bit strict, but it was mostly just about what does the Bible say, right? you know? And then it was somebody's sick, let's pray for them. Or somebody needs something, let's go meet it. And in the middle of all that, I saw I had an encounter with Jesus, you know? Like, so I heard from God, I did what God said, and I saw the results, you know? And as I continued to kind of grow in my faith, that's what I just continued to see. So for me to doubt it would be like doubting the existence of my wife, who's in Dallas right now. You know, she's away on a, on a trip in Dallas. And, you know, I can't doubt her existence because I know her. <laughs> and so, you know, I think a lot of people have met the image of Jesus, you know, the icon that the church has kind of made for him and not Jesus himself. And so they're doubting because they see that disconnect. And I would just say, man, dig into who he actually is. So, okay. so you were very fortunate to get a West Texas preacher. <laughs> so I, I was born and raised in Lubbock, Texas, and I moved to Miami in 1996 to start a church and a ministry there. But telling you what, man, there, there's something atmospherically in the great Republic of Texas. And it, it's just a gravity defying uh, finger flying, just, great spirit of holy rebellion and independence that I love. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're born in Texas. And immediately it conjures up cowboy, independent, republic, Johnny Get Your Gun, Alamo type of stuff. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, nowadays in our soft, sassy, secularized culture within the United States of liberal acrimony, you know, that's a bad thing. But I, I, treat my roots as a badge of honor. Secondly, 
the fact that he does that he did at that juncture when you're growing up expositions of the scripture instead of just hop skipping and jumping and you know talking about what oprah's saying or trying to you know become like jimmy fallon or parrot dr phil i think i think the church needs to go back to expository preaching because it forces you to go through and see especially if you go like we're doing uh i'm doing an exposition of the book of mark so we're on our 10th week josh and we've only gotten through 18 verses and so you've got to do a deep dive you got to look at you know the culture you got to look at what was going on religiously politically and then then all of a sudden you know just through the exposition of the word where you know you're you're going through it all of a sudden like you said you start seeing an image that's created about christ and usually it completely is kittywampus to the soft little jesus and all these you know cherry pick phrases and facets and stuff like that expository preaching man you've got to plow through it and and it 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 takes you places where a lot a lot of preachers don't want to go when's the last time anybody it's like here's how you lead somebody to christ do you want jesus to come into your heart and save you you know from hell and jesus here's his uh version of preaching the gospel kingdom of god's here repent and believe and come and follow me can you imagine saying that nowadays and he doesn't in a lot of those altercations he doesn't mention your sins are forgiven now some of them he does he doesn't mention anything about you know you won't go to hell and wear raggedy clothing and be in these dark sulfur uh caves sometimes he does but most of it it's just follow me repent do a 180 believe trust with all your heart and uh, the kingdom of god is boom not coming has come mm-hmm And so he, he invited in them into his fray, tells them to spin on their heel and do a 180 from their stupid life of dissipation and to cling to him. And that's all he said. I know that in the community that I'm connected with, the faith community I'm connected with now, I see guys from, you know, multiple churches in our town who get together and they're addicts and they're motorcycle gang, ex-motorcycle gang guys, and they are... Um, you know, if, if there's an old lady that needs to be moved, they show up, you know, if there's, um, an addict who's about to use again, they go and they pull that addict out of that house and they get him help, you know, and, uh, you know, being in that environment where we've got this, these guys who just like live this man, like, I, I think that that is And, and that's the church, you know? Yeah, we have a place we go on Sunday, and some of the places are different, and we have some, you know, we sing a few songs, and somebody gives a speech. Um, But where the church is happening is the stuff that we do Monday through Saturday, where we go out and we do the work, man. It's awesome. I love it. To me, that's what dudes need. You know, yeah. it's like, like they need something to put their hands to. They need something that's practical. They need a problem to solve, a dragon to slay. And uh, the dragon that might need to be slain is uh, help that old lady uh, cast the devil out of the drug addict, you know, mm -hmm. uh, walk him through the cold turkey and do all that kind of stuff. We used to, when I did street ministries, we'd get guys apartments and we messed up a lot. We, we funded uh, drug addicts and drunks and stuff like that. 
but our heart was right. And we got, you know, shrewder in regards to our efforts and our allocation of funds and, and things. But we were out there doing the do instead of just sitting in the bleachers, you know, Christianity is all about action. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm a big uh, anti big government type guy, because it's not the government's job to do all this kind of crap. It's the church's job. But the church in America has turned into a hot tub religion of big screens, smoke machines and skinny jeans. And it's an entertainment thing. Josh, I'm like, I live way out in the country and um, I'm close to the city of Austin. And so when we first moved here, we didn't have a church and uh, I wasn't pastoring at that time. I was uh, uh, doing my online news portal, clashdaily.com. And um, so I was like, okay, we got to find a church because I know that you got to have a body of believers and we're making great money and just kicking ass all over the United States. So I started going to churches and dude, it was like everybody's trying to outcompete the other on how much entertainment they can bring to bear on these stupid people that are probably not converted and going to split hell wide open. And it was, it was, it was gross, man. Freaking hundred foot screens, cameras everywhere, just, you know, mood lighting and smoke machines. And it's like, this is ridiculous because Jesus didn't need that crap. Paul didn't need that crap. They didn't have this stuff. But what they did have was the fire of God in their belly. Uh, they, they understood, uh, you know, the terror of the Lord and what kind of uh, crap storm the sinner was going to face upon expiration if he didn't make his peace with Christ. And they implored people and they would go anywhere and they'd, they'd walk, they'd ride camels, they'd fight bandits, they'd go through all kinds of incredible hell just to get the message out. And the thing that I like about COVID and what it brought to bear on churches is that we got to see all the wussy pastors who are doing it for money who are scared of losing their 501c3 when mayor mccheese told them to shut their church down these little pusses did it they're like oh we've got to shut the church down because we you know we don't want to spread a bad cold and so they stop having communion they stop uh hugging each other they stop giving high fives i believe paul's injunction uh in his epistles were a holy kiss a holy kiss man it's like <laughs> oh, we can't do that we can't do communion. We can't sing. We might spread the Wuhan Weezer. You think, for those pastors who did that, first of all, you're a coward. You should be ashamed, and you should repent for your cowardice because you obeyed men instead of God. You show me one place in the Scripture where Jesus said, listen, if a bad cold comes around, then you guys just cease all the assembly together, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you stop uh, communion, you stop the preaching of the word, and you stop, you know, uh, in, in-person worship. If they can show me one verse uh, where Jesus said that, or the apostle uh, said that in the various epistles, one verse, baby, I will eat a tube sock because it's not there, but you did it. And now you're acting like business as usual. I'm telling you what, we're not in an environment where there's business as usual. And if you don't think sleepy, creepy, half-dead carrier pigeon from Marx's radical ideas, also known as Joe Biden, is not going to slap that rat cage lockdown on your head again, you're nuttier than a squirrel turd because it's coming back around. Uh, I guarantee it. And so all the churches, you know, they tried to get Peter and John to shut up. They said, no more preaching, no more healing. You guys bugger off. They said, no, we're going to go pound sand. We're not going to shut up. 
we're going to keep preaching because we are called to obey God instead of men. But these pastors said, well, Romans 13 says, Joshua, we've got to obey uh, civil magistrates. First of all, they're lesser magistrates to our magistrate, Christ, who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we are to obey all civil magistrates who praise what is good and punishes what is evil. But if they punish the good and praise evil, then we're duty bound as Christians for this thing called civil disobedience. Yeah, I I can even patiently understand the people at first who thought, wait a minute, what's going on here? Because nobody knew anything that first week, that first couple weeks when everything got shut down. Yeah, flat and then Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand, okay, let's get this figured out. What's going on here, you know? And then, you know, it didn't take long for I think everybody to realize something's gotta change, you know, and, and the churches that found a way to make it work. You know, those are the ones that are still going. But every church in the country, every church in the country almost uh, lost about half their membership and they haven't gotten them back, you know, which I think is a direct strategy of <laughs> the whole thing, you know, yeah, the, the mastermind of the whole thing, you know. I, I think, um, I mean, you look in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus said, hey, you tolerate Jezebel, you tolerate false doctrine, you tolerate this. He said, I'm going to remove your candlestick. Yeah. So if you're playing games, if you're doing this little churchy crap, if, uh, if you're, if you're, you know, that gullible and you lack discernment that the government is not your friend and you're bowing to this government and you're obeying this government, when I've clearly told you in the scripture, how you're to operate, then you know what you deserve not only to lose half your congregation, you deserve to lose all your congregation and maybe go sell cars and uh, think about it for a decade. And then after it smacks you in the head, pastor, uh, that you curled up in the fetal position, wet your big Christian diaper over a bad cold that was engineered in China uh, that completely uh, like and all the stuff that we were fed. Oh, you wear a mask. It'll keep it from, you know, from, from you getting infected. Bullcrap. Oh, if you uh, if if you get the vax, it'll keep you from you know receiving or transmitting. Bullcrap. It was all lies. And where were the Christians saying, you know what? I'm not buying this. This is this is garbage. And then to do it to our kids, I'm telling you what, the generation of COVID that rate that was raised in terror of of our civil magistrates and in fear with this mass delusional psychosis over getting a cold. There's no telling, brother, what kind of damage uh, spiritually and mentally that it's done to the kids. We see it in, you know, just a spike in suicides. And um, it's horrible, man. And where was the church? And so if the church comes back, Josh, and reconvenes, which they have, they need to talk about this crap. They need to address it because it's coming back around. Everything's cyclical, you know. <laughs> and what? We we got three, four years of this dude in the office. And when people get power, when the government get, gets power, and you know this, yeah, it's, they, don't, they don't let it back. <laughs> yeah, they're very reticent to relinquish uh, what they got from us. My hope is that uh, through all this, what is birthed and what I'm seeing in many places is that our idea of what church is, this Western idea that doesn't look anything like the church that you see in the pages of scripture. It, you know, 
they were meeting in each other's homes. They were meeting in the public square and they were meeting in the Jewish synagogues, which wasn't their church. Right. That's where they met. You know, they were reasoning and debating and arguing with the Jewish people to show them that Jesus was the Messiah. They were proclaiming him in the public square where they could have been stoned or crucified and they were meeting in each other's homes. You know, not a cloistered 501c3 brick and mortar building where they got to sing their songs and speak in their language and do their rituals that way. Like that wasn't. So my hope is that the church can reclaim what it was meant to be before Western culture, like you said, pussified it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And um, so during COVID, the church that I was attending it completely shut down and I was privy to some of the internal memos. I'm not an elder. I'm just a freaking dude playing a dude, playing another dude, you know, <laughs> going to church and stuff. Uh, but we were active and we were involved And in the internal memos was like, well, you know, governor so-and-so said to do this and that. So we're going to do what he says, like, I'm out, I'm out. Cause there's, there's, but again, this was way after the uh, two-week flatten the curve, mm-hmm. which, you know, Trump said it. And I was like, okay, we'll do two weeks. I get it. Because that, that's what we were told would stem the tide of the Wuhan Weezer, Josh. And uh, lo and behold, uh, it didn't. And so when all the other mayors that get this new allocation of power keep those mandates on congregations, and then I saw my church do it, it's like, Man, I don't, I don't know what happened to you, but um, this, this is not kosher as far as I uh, can see and read the scripture and history. And um, so we started our cigar and sermon event right here, cigars <laughs> and sermons, and uh, in our own home, freaking ninety to hundred people rock up, uh, come and try to shut this down, which we're fortunate because we live in Texas and we don't have draconian overlords like a lot of other states do, uh, they're going to have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I know that uh, you've got to go. You, you've got a short amount of time. So tell us if the guys that are listening want to get in touch with you. What's the best way for that to happen? Yeah, so my uh, the happy clappy uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood of all things Doug related, which I do, Doug, 24-7, 365, is over at Doug Giles, that's G-I-L-E-S dot org. They can see my artwork. I've got a new best-selling book. Josh, I don't know if I sent you this, but it's Psalms of War, Prayers That Literally Kick Ass. It's hmm. the precatory psalms, and I highlight 28 of them. And uh, you're talking about something a church needs to be praying right now. It's the maledictions that are woven into that book of the Bible called Psalms. There's 109 curses against the enemy, against those who, uh, which are chief adversaries, obviously, El Diablo. But unfortunately, there's a lot of impenitent, implacable people that are married to the Prince of Darkness, and they become collateral damage in our intercessory volley of these imprecatory Psalms. It's uh, it's been it's been number one for 26 weeks on Amazon, and it sadly today, Josh, right before the broadcast, I looked and it dropped to number six in the world in Middle Eastern literature. It's been outselling the Quran, and uh, which blows me away. And it's people, I think people are pissed, brother. I think they know that the church leaders, by and large, have been feckless. They see, they see the mounting front of radical Marxism, which is not God-friendly at all in the final analysis. 
And they're like, what do we do? It's like, well, here's some Tomahawk missiles you can pray in the heavenlies and you can watch God clean house. So DougGiles.org, you can uh, you can see uh, my short movie on Christianity and the arts and how I take on that. They can see all my artwork. I've got a great series called Biblical Badasses, which they'll love all the guys and gals that I depict because I don't paint Jesus and his buddies, you know, like bearded women. I paint them, you know, pretty much like the deadliest catch and those guys. And um, yeah, got the podcast there as well. And um, I appreciate you having me on, Big Dog. No, I appreciate it as well. I'll make sure to link uh, stuff in the show notes so the guys can check out and connect with you, man. I appreciate you sharing your heart with us and and your story. And I am looking forward to hearing more from you. Maybe we'll have you on again sometime and we can uh, dig a little deeper. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, man. Stay rowdy, Big Dog. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks to Doug for giving us a very interesting and eye-opening view of what Christianity is meant to be. It's tough, it's rugged, and it's wild. And it's not just this sanitized, bleached version that for some reason seems to be more culturally appropriate. Yeah, no, you can be a tough guy and follow Jesus. In fact, you should be, which I think is pretty cool. Anyway, guys, if you appreciate what we're talking about here, please share this interview with a friend. Share it on your social media. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or on Spotify. Let's get the word out so we can let others be a part of this movement of manlyhood. Listen, I love you guys. I care about you. And I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. And you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. 